Welcome to our next episode of Hash It Out, the cannabis podcast to entertain and educate cannabis consumers. Today, I am sitting down with Bridget Gavin. She is the founder of Symbiosis Cannabis Education based in Eugene, Oregon. Her foray into the cannabis world started during the medical era while working as a farmhand on her family's cannabis farm, Bloom Hill Botanicals. Bloom Hill is an outdoor facility that employs regenerative and biodynamic practices to carefully curated genetics from top breeders in the state. In the spring of 2015, with the intention of diversifying her experience with and knowledge of cannabis, Gavin began her four-year journey in the retail cannabis sector, working at multiple organizations in diverse roles such as bud tending, purchasing, managing, kind of all over the place. And during that time, she had continuous exposure to the full gamut of cannabis products, their production methods, uses, and also misuses. Having direct contact with the many companies who populate the cannabis space, she had hands-on frontline experience that equipped her with an education not easily rivaled. In early 2019, armed with a unique expertise, Bridget decided to funnel her knowledge into creating curriculums for current and aspiring cannabis professionals, as well as passionate, knowledge-hungry consumers. Bridget is dedicated to people being able to take health into their own hands and hopes to contribute to this ability by spreading clarity about the safe use of cannabis. So today we're going to be talking about CBD. Now this is a topic that I have covered in previous podcasts. The very first episode that I aired definitely touched on that. And then I had an entire episode dedicated to CBD as well. So why are we talking about it again? Well, it's a really big topic and there's a lot of confusion out there and with the passing of the most current farm bill I really wanted to update listeners on what's new what's going on and just come back to the CBD topic that is kind of taking the nation by storm right now. So some things that you can expect in the episode is just an overview what exactly is CBD and how it works And then we're going to jump into some clarification to some common confusions. That one's really interesting for me. There's um, a few buzzwords around CBD that we're going to try to tackle and just really provide some clarity. We're going to talk about sourcing and why it's crucial and then also how to consume. There's so many different ways to consume. You can stack your medication topically, orally, vaping, smoking. We want to get into a little bit about the benefits of each of those consumption methods and then how that interacts with your body in a different way. So that's basically going to cover our episode for the first little bit. We're going to talk about brief amount about kind of marketing and more of the business side of things and then we'll jump right into the scientific facts and figures and another guest appearance on this episode from my little baby girl Isabel you'll definitely be hearing her cooing and cawing as I'm adjusting to be a cannabis professional and new mom at the same time so with no further ado I'm going to introduce my guest today Bridget Gavin Thanks for coming out today. Really looking forward to recording with you. I think there's so much that our listeners can learn from what you have to offer, just representing symbiosis overall, and then the specifics we're going to get into around CBD in general. But yeah, of course, I want to kind of just get to know you a little bit before we jump into the real heavy stuff. Why do you do what you do? Like what really got you started on kind of spreading the gospel of cannabis education? So I got involved with the industry when it was still very young. Dispensaries had just become official in the state of the ODA and the OHA. Um, and I saw a lot of people that had a lot of things to say. And there were plenty of people who were trying really hard to make sure that consumers got the best experience possible and that their products were highly positively impactful in what they brought to the consumer and low impact on the environment and socially and all that good stuff. Uh, And so I saw those brands weren't getting prioritized the way they maybe should be because they didn't always have the liquid capital to do the marketing they needed. And I realized that the best way to arm consumers to have a good experience and to make sure the brands with the best practices survive is transparency of information. And I wanted to kind of be that vessel and get that info out there. Cool. That's 
sounds like a really noble cause. And I say that it sounds like kind of tongue in cheek, mostly because it's really in line with kind of the mission of Hash It Out in and of itself too. And so I think this creates just a really great partnership between the two of us. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, you know, how how do we influence consumer purchasing decisions? And that's really like on the ground floor. I don't know. That That's really what I feel like makes a difference. And so I totally commend you for, for what you're doing. Thank you for that. I, I appreciate that deeply. And I you know, my background is in marketing. That's what I went to U of O for for a brief period. And so I got really jaded when I realized how much of like content and media that's out there is designed to influence consumer purchasing without allowing the consumer active consent in that whole uh, interchange. And so I'm, I'm happy to be someone out there that's like, here is information, it's for you to do with what you would please and to have a better relationship with this product um, and not like secretly being like, but look and then leading it to my product. Like, it, is, it is such a turnoff um, knowing what those kind of practices are. Some people might say that words like manipulation are overkill, but it's absolutely not. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> when yeah. when there's like really specific research into the different colors or how to speak to a certain demographic, if it's like women between the ages of 24 and 35 that you want to target and so on and so forth, they do that. And I notice it. I Okay, so first of all, not am I only completely well aware of all of these tactics and have studied them and have myself employed them. Uh, during my tenure working in corporate America, things Mm -hmm. like that. Like, I know exactly what they are, yet still fall victim to them time and time again. I'll be aware of it happening. I'll be like, oh, that's a marketing ploy. But I super need that product, (laughs) and it's it's totally working. working. (laughs) And there's like that's how how well it works. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I also find the kind of consumer that I am, the companies that just educate on their product and how it works and things like that um, ends up being the most effective overall because Absolutely. I'll keep coming back to that product time mm-hmm. and time again rather than just a single purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really great. So a bit um, about yourself. I introduced you and, um, you know, had your bio to tell everybody about you, but a little more details around kind of like what your retail experience has been. So just like a temperature check, what is the market like right now in Oregon um, or even beyond? And what kind of experience do you have in the retail cannabis sector? I got kind of thrown into the fire in a weird little microcosm of cannabis retail. Uh, Most of my experience is in the Willamette Valley in the Eugene area. And I got my, I I got my start in cannabis and in dispensaries right when recreational and adult use was becoming a reality. So I got to kind of watch that transition um, and be a part of a storefront while it was happening, which was really cool and so stressful uh, because every day at like, you know, five o'clock Friday, usually two emails of like, these are new rules. You have to do everything differently. Um, and that's been the reality for the last few years. But I started with that very tenuous, really like the floor is lava, careful where you step kind of industry. And I got to see it. It's now starting to equalize out a little bit. And, you know, you're seeing people who have stayed the course and are making it and that's really really exciting and so I'm, I'm glad to have been able to watch the industry progress this far and having worked with you know big companies mom and pop stores uh, I've held the hand of my family's super small-scale outdoor facility as weed prices have plummeted lower than we've ever seen them and that's been really scary but really edifying in a cool way because we've seen these pockets of community form where wholesalers will form a network of producers they align with and the practices align and you know they take care of each other within this rather cutthroat market that we're experiencing here in Oregon and then you look outside of the state and you see all of this radically positive change you know Chicago and Illinois are putting forward amazing adult use programs Uh, you're seeing California start to get its feet underneath it and really hit the ground running with their adult use and safe access programs and it's a really exciting time to be in cannabis I think even if you're just a consumer like this is the wild west and it's really good stuff 
the progress going on outside of our bubble here in Oregon is really encouraging to watch. Mm -hmm. I know I myself have gotten a little bogged down in the details here in Oregon of just I don't know, feeling like there's these like feedback loops that we just can't jump out of. And I know a lot of people are getting discouraged, but when I can pop my head up and actually see the forest for the trees and say, okay, no, like progress is happening. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I do just kind of sometimes put my head down and like forge forward. But when I do see these big leaps being made, it, it really helps me continue doing what I'm doing and keep that positive momentum. The aspect that's been really heartwarming for me, a very tiny sliver of retail legalization that I've watched get consistently better throughout each state. You know, Colorado didn't really have much in terms of infrastructure for expunging previous convictions. You know, Washington created a fairly complicated paperwork process for it. Oregon, similarly complicated paperwork process for it. California wrote algorithms. They were able to find those convictions and like seek out the people who are eligible for expungement rather than make them come to come to those individuals. Illinois is writing it in that like certain individuals just get expungement when the bill passes. And it's, it's really exciting to see the social equity aspect of cannabis legalization taking a, a bigger and bigger slice of the forefront because it's really, really important. Yeah, totally agreed. You can't have one without the other. We can't be Mm -hmm. moving forward and creating industry and business around this plant while still having people that are basically enslaved by it. Yeah. It's the epitome of hypocrisy. Yeah. A hundred percent. So I guess the big buzz right now and mostly after the passing of um, the most current farm bill is CBD and... For the most part, I feel like the big chunk of folks out there aren't really clear on what CBD is, and you hear really funny terms around it because of that. And so if you're not actively working in the cannabis field, it's no wonder that this is like this really fuzzy topic that there's just like no clarity around it Mm -hmm. um there's different messages sometimes conflicting about what it is where to get it what kind of products it's in what it treats all of these things but it is the current like cash cow that is definitely being taken advantage of with deals being signed between you know companies like coca-cola and walmart and these these big names that are starting to create CBD-infused products. So now that this is going to be out and marketed to the masses, I think it's really important to take a step back and try to educate as many people as possible mm-hmm. about just the basics of it. And that seems to be something that you're really putting a foot forward to spearhead a campaign around that. And that's going to be kind of the meat of our conversation today. Um, Just some preliminary comments maybe from you on that before we really get into it. Yeah, I think the the CBD boom is really interesting to see. Uh, Breeders and industry insiders have been predicting it for a couple years. So it's not surprising to those of us, like you said, that are in the industry that are dealing with it daily. I've been very surprised because the 2018 Farm Bill did not legalize CBD. You know, CBD is still technically regulated by the FDA. It's still a gray area. And so while I'm super excited to see companies passionately supporting accessibility of cannabis, it's still like, you know, it's still a gray area. And I do encourage everyone to be really cautious with that. But it's also like it's it's providing these people who have been so ready to make these amazing products and to get these very healing components into the hands of consumers that care and that need them. A lot of the companies that are on the market right now have the best intentions and have a really good products. And so it's it's exciting to see. And I'm grateful for the farm bill and for what it's doing and for the, the tide that it's creating. Uh, if I see one more brand of CBD water, though, I I do think I might lose my mind. Uh, that stuff bugs me. <laughs> I totally get it. And honestly, like, if it were a proper CBD extraction and then they infused that into a water, that would just, it wouldn't, 
It wouldn't even taste good. That no. would just be terrible. It would taste horrible, and it would have to be stored in, like, a beer bottle. You would need something amber because CBD is not super stable in um, isolate form especially, and it oxidizes like crazy. So the half-life on it is, like, very fast. Yeah, so before we get too deep into this, I think it's really important to have a general overview, like a framework for people to hang all these other concepts that we're going to be talking about onto. And that question basically is like, what is CBD? It's, you know, we hear it in its plural form, people talk about CBDs and this and that. And it almost makes it sound like it's an additive or Mm -hmm. something that would be on an ingredient list on the back of a food package. And I think we can bring a lot more clarity to that. So if you had, you know, an elevator pitch for CBD, how would you describe what it is? So CBD or cannabidiol is um, one of the most prolific cannabinoids that shows up in cannabis plants. Uh, It functions in the body in a bunch of ways. Uh, It's called, it's what is known in the pharmaceutical world as paleotropic because it interacts with a bunch of different molecule receptor sites and ion channels in your body. So it's really hard to pin down exactly what it does. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a neuroprotectant. It's a hormone stabilizer. It's an anti-inflammatory. It's an incredibly active and very helpful molecule. Sounds good. And I would just like to add to that a little clarity about it is a compound, a naturally Mm -hmm. occurring compound in the cannabis plant. Yep. And, yeah, people can extract and isolate for just CBD or they can extract, you know, the full, basically, fingerprint of the plant and then that happens to be one part of it. Um, So this is what we're talking about, just a naturally occurring molecule that floats around in your system after you put cannabis into your body in some form. We kind of touched on, you kind of touched on this on your answer, but I, I do want to hear a little bit more about how CBD works. Basically, how is it kind of interacting with your body? So, like I said, it, it interacts with about, I think the last study I saw identified about 65 different molecular uh, channels and pathways that CBD uh, goes for in the body. And the primary ones are actually not the ones in the endocannabinoid system, which is why I tend to direct people to products that have, like you were saying, full extract as opposed to distillate or isolate, because for CBD to interact with our endocannabinoid receptors, it needs to be kind of primed with THC. Outside of that, CBD, like I said, it interacts all over the body. Its primary function is as a reuptake inhibitor, which that takes place, like I said, kind of system-wide. It's also a really amazing homeostatic agent. So if a system in your body is malfunctioning, either overexerting itself or not producing the compounds or working in the way it should in your body, the CBD can often stimulate it or bring it back into balance. Yeah, so from what I'm hearing on that, um, I think just to bring it down to our listeners, when we talk about First of all, the body needing to be primed with like THC in order to most effectively make use of the CBD. I think kind of something, an image that comes to mind is something that we're all very familiar with, which is basically we need vitamin D in our body in order to absorb calcium. Mm -hmm. That's like a concept that we know and we can grasp onto. So anytime we, you know, vitamin D milk, for example, there's vitamin D added so that you can actually absorb the calcium and incorporate it into your bones and make them healthy and strong. And so in the same way, what I'm hearing is that like those receptors, the CB1, the CB2, those need to be primed with a little bit of THC in order for them to actually interact properly with the CB molecules themselves. Yeah. And that's when you see CBD do its best work as a quote-unquote painkiller. It's not very analgesic in and of itself, but when it's primed with just that little bit of THC, it's able to do exponential work for killing pain. Um, And CBD being called a painkiller is super situational for me because if your pain is based in inflammation, taking some full extract CBD is going to help immensely. Whereas if your pain comes from 
a different source or, you know, a nerve pinched or something like that, it might not be as effective for you. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Why, like, after I'm finished, uh, like, post-workout, for example, I find CBD really helps with my muscle Mm -hmm. pain. But obviously, my muscles are all big and inflamed and sore. And so that CBD brings all of that down and and helps release that contraction Mm -hmm. of the muscle. And that's where I get really good relief with it. Absolutely. And I was reading a study recently because of uh, CBD's neuroprotectant and uh, reuptake uh, reuptake inhibiting abilities. It's great for pre-gaming your workout too, because your body will move through your la- the lactic acid a lot quicker, mm. and um, it keeps your inflammation from building as long. So sometimes if you pre-game with a little CBD, you're able to get a little bit more longevity out of your workout. Maybe I'll try that today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. There is a lot of misinformation out there. And when I say misinformation, you know, that that sounds like really intentional and kind of almost maleficent. But what I really mean by that is confusion arises really quickly around these concepts within CBD. And I'm wondering, do you have like a quick list of kind of the top most frequent confusions um, and then offering some clarification around them. I know we all have pet peeves within our own lines of work and it's like, okay, these are the concepts that I most often hear that I'm just like, no, that's wrong. We need to talk about this. No, absolutely not. Um, So do you have like one or five or whatever um, that you'd like to address? Absolutely. Uh, The one that pops into my head first is that cannabis and hemp are different plants. Uh, that one really bugs me, and I think it just brings a lot of confusion to what is already a murky pool with the genetics effect, the the discussion that's going on in the yeah. industry pertaining to all that. Or um, or not even just that there some people know that they're the same plant, but think that cannabis is like the female, and um, then hemp is the male. Yeah, and right. That one, yeah, that was <laughs> a fun one. So yeah, that that they're that they're entirely different species, or that they are like separated by gender or something. Um, there is another education program working in Oregon, uh, CBD certified, and they classify their plants, high resin producers versus low resin producers. And I really like that. But the distinction between hemp and cannabis is one that definitely sticks in my craw because it's completely legislative. Uh, at some point they decided that anything that was below 0.3% THC was hemp and that that was okay because that couldn't get you high, so that's fine. And that was when hemp entered, hemp entered into this very weird gray area where, you know, we saw chapsticks of it, but you couldn't really do any manufacturing with it in Oregon. Right. And that's what the 2018 Farm Bill cleared up, which is very rad. Another one that bugs me is CBD is non-psychoactive. That one's pretty silly. But I totally understandable, too. I think that people want to sound really, really comforting when they're in the store and they want to let people know that it's fine and that CBD is really safe. And so the non-psychoactive term popped up. But CBD does interact with our brain chemistry. And for some people, it provides this awesome sense of euphoria. And while that could almost never be considered a negative side effect, it's really important to prep our consumers for that and give them realistic expectations of what they're getting into. Yeah, so what I've heard, or what I encourage, actually, is people changing their lexicon a little bit, and I like to substitute in non-intoxicating rather than non-psychoactive, and... I think that's a better way to think about it in mm. those terms that, you know, there's a lot of things that are non-intoxicating but still do change our state of mind. Absolutely. And that could be a chamomile tea, you know, that it, it could be a pepper, whatever, but you're not going to get messed up from it. You still maintain your faculties, but it changes your mood. Mm. It is still a mood-altering substance. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Another one that comes to mind, and this one's kind of my very favorite paradox, Hemp oil, CBD oil, and cannabis oil are different things because mm. this is totally dependent on context, on marketing material, on there's there's no oversight committee saying who can put what on their packaging or defining what a hemp oil is, what a CBD oil is. So we talk, I, I talk a little bit more about that in the demystifying CBD course and like what things to look for. Um, but that one's really, really interesting because I've had people come into the dispensary and be like, okay, I need a hemp oil. And I'll set them up with a CBD tincture 
one that very may well be MCT oil based, and they'll insist that that's not what they want. And it's like, well, are you looking for hemp heart cooking oil? Because I, I, I don't, I don't know that there's been a miscommunication then. Uh, and so those ones, that's that's one of my favorite um, marketing terms that gets kind of easily polluted. Yeah, when you think about our food, for example, terms like natural and even cage-free are unregulated terms. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us as consumers know that at this point, that when we hear the words all natural, that doesn't really mean shit. Right? It it, it doesn't. It's just a buzzword. It's totally just a buzzword. And that comes from that regulatory oversight, that words like organic, yes, those are absolutely Mm -hmm. regulated. If you have less than this percent cocoa, it needs to be chocolatey as opposed to chocolate. Yes. Things like that. Yes, exactly. However, in the cannabis industry, being as new as it is, none of those terms are regulated yet, and we don't have standards around it. So one company likes to use this term because of how it aligns with their vision and makes them feel as as a company, and other companies like to use this term. Maybe it's for marketing purposes or this or that, and everybody has a different motivation. And so really being able to dig into, well, I guess the next point that I wanted to talk about anyway, so great little segue, is sourcing um, um, these products. What do consumers need to look out for? I think that in this like murky kind of area that we're talking about, where there isn't regulation on the terms, things like that, how do customers decide what they want to put in their body? Super good question. I recommend just... One of the nice side effects of the 2018 Farm Bill is that now cultivating hemp is legal. So organic is actually going to start carrying some weight. These people will be able to become USD certified organic. That's an awesome first step. But it's not all that we need. Cannabis is a really interesting plant in that it's what is known as a bioaccumulator. And so if it's grown in soil that has any kind of heavy metals, any kind of pollutants, you know, even radiation uh, will get, for lack of a better term, sucked up into your hemp plant and they will wind up holding onto it. And so if you then take that great way to make a difference on cleaning the world. Oh, yeah, it's great. Plant (laughs) all of the hemp you want at Chernobyl and then turn it into like fiber or something. I don't know. But I that's the tricky bit. What do you do with the hemp once you've used it to bioaccumulate someplace Mm -hmm. and to, um, you know, remediate the soil there? But when you take a plant that's grown in a situation like that, like all the hemp that's been coming from China for the last few years, I really cringe to think of what's been in some of those tinctures because there is no lab testing, there's no oversight, and there's certainly a pretty big pollution problem going on in China right now. They've got bigger industry than we do. Uh, And so all of the hemp that was grown over there has to be, you know, affected by that in a big way. Um, and so it's nice to look for pla- for when you're buying uh, from a, you know, a farm source outside of a dispensary. So on an online website in your natural grocery store and something like that, try and look for someone who is USDA certified organic because that's going to be at least a good hallmark to them reaching for best, best practices. I gravitate towards things that are third-party certificate of analysis for heavy metals, for pollutants, for things like that, as well as for potency. Um, Test results right now aren't, like we're saying, no oversight. So there's no requirement for test results right now unless you are shopping in a dispensary, which your rules are going to be a little bit different in that scenario. You're going to, at least in Oregon, pay more in taxes if you're shopping in a dispensary and maybe buying CBD products because it won't always be sourced from hemp. Back to that silly legislative distinction. And hemp is not taxed and cannabis is. So So you can source products that are hemp-derived or classified as hemp-derived. We already talked about the difference between that in dispensaries and still not have to pay that 17% tax. Yes, which is really awesome because those products and dispensaries still have to meet Oregon's very stringent testing requirements for products and dispensaries. So they're tested for potency, um, for a host of different pesticides. So I I highly recommend dispensary sourcing. So based off of all of that information, 
to me as a consumer, if I were to try to buy a CBD product, as we're talking about sourcing, you know, there's, there's, it seems like three options right now. It's like dispensaries, health food stores, and online. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they might fall into that exact hierarchy as far as ease of sourcing and knowing what you're getting, basically. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, a lot of products, I guess I shouldn't say a lot, a lot of the most consistent products that are available in dispensaries have also created lines that are found in natural grocery stores or that even sometimes have online sales portals. So my recommendation is to arm yourself with this exhaustive list of info and then go to a dispensary that you trust, talk to some, talk to some people about products, get some products in your hand, read some labels, um, you know, buy the ones that you feel or called that align with some of the things that we've talked about here. Uh, and then you can explore outside of that if you want to. But yeah, definitely start with dispensaries and then maybe health food or grocery stores. Um, and yeah, online would definitely be the most wild west avenue for purchasing. <laughs> so not all CBD products are created equally. Mm-hmm. And I think you'd probably be the first to tell us that. And beyond the fact that there's different categories of product, tincture versus RSO or FICO versus topical, whatever, um, how the CBD itself is actually put into the product varies greatly. Can you illuminate us a bit on that when we're considering sourcing? Sure. So I think we touched on this a little bit earlier. There are three what I would call main categories. There's like whole plant extracts, there is distillates, and there are isolates. The whole plant extracts would be my they're always my personal preference when I'm consuming CBD and they're every time what I recommend to other people because they get all of those other compounds that we might not even know the full benefits of. All of those peripheral cannabinoids that we haven't done clinical research on, all the flavonoids, all the antioxidants, all of the wonderful, magical, marvelous components that are in cannabis get snapped up into the medium when we're working with something like full spectrum. And then you go to distillates. And distillates are a very wide range of extraction methods. You can have a very particular distillation and be going for really like baseline just CBD, or you can have a slightly more wide range of distillation. Like I hear some people say full spectrum distillate. So they are distilling for the full spectrum of cannabinoids as far as they're concerned, for maybe even a full spectrum of terpenes, but they're removing um, some of the lipids, some plant materials, some of the more what would be considered, especially in a clinical setting, the undesirable compounds. And then you've got isolate. Isolate is the molecule, CBD. It looks very, it looks sketchy is what it looks like. When I've had people buy CBD isolate for me in the dispensary, I'm like, do not remove this from the packaging because it's just white crystalline isolate. It's a chemical isolate. It has no real other markers. Um, and there are studies coming out of Israel looking at CBD administration, and it's taking hundreds of milligrams of CBD to elicit any kind of symptom relief when we're using isolate. And the same clinical study is finding that they can use 25 milligrams of a full spectrum CBD product and achieve symptom relief Whereas, you know, with the, with the isolate, they might have to use like 250 milligrams, 300 milligrams. And with the isolate, it's a bell-shaped curving response or dosage response, which means that, you know, in that magical 300 milligrams, they get the response they're looking for. 350, they see less of a, sp- a response. And so there's a very tight window that you have to achieve with isolate that doesn't seem very sustainable to me, at least. Um, so full spectrum products definitely give you more bang for your buck. You're able to use fewer milligrams and get a better response. In most cases. Very interesting. Okay, so definitely something for people to look for, like what type of extract are they actually putting into their products Mm -hmm. that um, uh, full spectrum that you're talking about, which would be like a whole plant extract versus a distillate versus an isolate. And so that brings us down to basically consumption methods. So there are all of these different products. And I think it would be prudent to kind of talk about 
So here's your options as far as types of products and what is the most effective way to consume a, a CBD based product or is there a singular most effective way? Maybe is it, does it differ based off of what you're trying to achieve or how, how would you address that question? I would say that for sure, everyone's going to be a little bit different just because of biochemistry and, you know, different situations. So and unfortunately you got to take everything with a grain of salt. The best recommendation might be a little augmented for you. Um, so my first and foremost, when I am recommending for people when they're starting a conscious consumption routine or really wanting to tune into why they consume cannabis, how they consume cannabis and the effects they're getting, start a journal um, and record how you're using it, when you're using it, symptom relief, all that good stuff. That's a plug for a, a component of cannabis relationships that I believe is important, whether you're using CBD or THC or what have you. Um, in terms of big range of methods of administration, I would say the two that get tied for priority in my mind are vaporization and oral consumption. Um, I think that oral administration is probably your best bet. Things like tinctures, things like edibles, uh, specifically edibles that are made with a full extract cannabis oil, an RSO or a FICO like we were talking about before. Um, CBD does its best work when you're taking consistent, fairly small doses of it. So taking five milligrams in the morning, like a multivitamin, and then five milligrams in the evening when you go to bed, that's a fairly arbitrary number, but it's a great place for someone to start, is probably someone's best pet. So getting something like a tincture in your life where you can have those consistent, fairly low doses to build up the overall benefits of CBD, the hormone regulation, the anti-inflammatory, the neuroprotectant, all that good stuff. Um, if you're looking towards vaporization, that opens up a lot of interesting conversations. Cartridges are incredibly popular, but I feel like you have to be really careful when sourcing them. Uh, right now, California is dealing with a lot of contamination that's happening because heavy metals are leaking into these cartridges, BPAs and plastics. We don't know as much about um, long-term storage of cannabis oil and plastic as we probably should to be selling these. So if you want a cartridge, go for something probably glass-bodied, think something that won't have those kind of... Right, especially if we're looking at a cannabis oil that has a high terpene profile, for mm. example. Mm -hmm. um, terpenes... I mean, they dissolve anything. Absolutely. <laughs> Limonene is technically like considered an industrial cleaner in plenty of situations. Like it's used in kitchens all across the country because it's all natural. Back to that lovely phrase. And food safe. That's another fun one. But yeah, it'll be, if you get it on your naked skin, it will give you a chemical burn. So... My recommendation when it comes to vaporization, if you if you really want to do it, invest in good quality hardware, something that you can load yourself, uh, that you are aware of everything that's going into the product. Um, or just find a brand that you really trust. That. Exactly. Yeah, there are plenty of cartridge brands out there that are doing good work. Uh, it just takes, like, knowing that they use cartridges that don't have heavy metal leakages and BPA contaminations, that they use, um, I really like CO2 extraction if we're talking cartridges, something that um, has a low environmental impact and, like, a, a low low profile. You know, I really like CO2 extraction for cartridges, it's name, too. It gets rad. a really bad name, and I'm not 100% sure why. Actually, I did an episode with... Um, with uh, Kalapuya, yeah, critical that. source, and we talk a lot about the CO2 process, and it really is clean, and it mm -hmm. really does take an accurate representation of the plant itself rather than just extracting for the THC or CBD in this case, and um, so on and so forth. But yeah, you get that that full spectrum mm -hmm. extract yeah. with a CO2. So, I'm yeah. glad you brought that up because it's important to keep at the forefront of the conversation. Mm -hmm. I feel like CBD got a bad rap because it was the first method. And so we were getting a lot of our growing pains out of the way. And, um, you know, like I said, we were, we were just learning, we were figuring it out. And now that people are 
coming back to it with a greater sense of expertise. I think the CO2 we're seeing on the market now is, yeah, it's like you said, some of my favorite cartridges. Um, and you know, you can also vaporize flour. It just takes a bigger, like a hardware investment. And so most people aren't really willing to do that. And that's when, you know, combustion comes into play. It's not trendy and it doesn't like it. It's very fundamental to the culture though. And getting to share a joint with friends is magic and it's very wholesome. And I really think that it shouldn't be discounted by people. Um, I know it doesn't seem very medicinal, but it's a really a, a marvelous way to to increase your relationship with the plant, in my opinion. Yeah, I think sharing with friends, yes, but also the amount of time that it takes to consume, if I'm smoking an entire joint, for example, actually can augment the medicinal qualities for me. Because if I have to take five to ten minutes to sit down in a quiet place by myself, away from everything in my life outdoors and consume a small joint that has a high CBD weed in it, Mm -hmm. right? That's A, it's an enjoyable experience. It makes me take a minute out of the day for myself and I sit down and I can cultivate a ritual around medication. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that no that is self-care that is a hundred percent what self-care looks like in my personal opinion um as far as being able to consume full plant <laughs> there is nothing like burning flour so true yeah yeah and you just that like you were saying that whole ritual of you know getting to know your cannabis and crumbling it up in your fingers and smelling it that yeah. intimate you have to like you absorb it through that smell and through that touch and Mm. you you do definitely cultivate a different relationship with it when you're like basically hands in the dirt with it exactly and so I don't think combustion should be discounted even when you're looking for the most medical or medicinal or healthy relationship with CBD or cannabis that you could possibly want I still think consumption is a very valid aspect of that um the kind of the last little footnote of administration is topicals and they're a funny one um i've i did a lot of research going into this and i could find no clinical research performed on humans that showed that cbd should have any kind of topical effect at all but they did a study on rats and a whole plant cbd topical helped their arthritis so i have a feeling it's just a matter of not having the clinical resources to understand the mechanic cuz i have boatloads of anecdotal evidence showing that a CBD topical is super helpful. And even if that's just a very potent placebo effect, I'm still pretty excited about it if it makes my knee stop hurting, you know? Mm-hmm, I do. Um, I can really only speak to, like you said, anecdotal experience around that. And there are a couple topicals that I have found very highly effective And there are a lot of topicals that I found didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of that same conversation around what are the ingredients going into it and how and what's the potency and those kind of things and figuring out what works for you. Mm -hmm. I personally have a bit of a sore spot when it comes to topicals within the industry, mostly for the value proposition. They Mm -hmm. are definitely the most highly priced Mm -hmm. product per milligram out there. And it doesn't have to be that way. Um, But turns out they're really easy to make at home. Um, So true. And I think actually you and I have some plans in the works to produce some how-tos on making some stuff at home and that's definitely going to be touched on so Mm -hmm. stay tuned for that absolutely lastly talking about the different consumption methods i touched on this in also in a previous episode i talked um pretty much exclusively about cbd with um, anna over at east fork who we all know and love and of course there's going to be some overlap between that episode and this episode but we can't talk about this stuff enough there's some new concepts in this one too. But one last thing that I do want to touch on when we're talking about consumption is kind of the the distinguishing between oral versus vaporizing versus smoking is I like to think of those as complementary, not one or the other. Oh, sure. And so 
a lot of the times I will orally take a CBD medication, um, usually something that I've either made myself or know that I've responsibly sourced. And that might look like a coconut oil infused with, um, with cannabis, mm-hmm. a whole plant in a cup of tea in the morning or what have you. And that kind of acts as my all day relief for, for me specifically for anxiety. Um, for a lot of people, it's other things, but, um, that's what that is specifically for me. Uh, and then I'll take that same coconut oil and again, rub it on my muscles after a workout or this or that. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, different applications, same product. Sure. But while I'm waiting for that oral consumption to take effect, that can take a bit of time for a lot of people, depending on what you've eaten, depending on what, it, you know, a tincture might act a little bit quicker than an oil because of the fat content or this or that. That's when we can start um, using them in tandem. So maybe vaporize when you eat something to get those immediate effects. And then by the time those are wearing off, the other is kicking in and you can like really stack your consumption mm-hmm. in that way when it's necessary. Yeah. I had a friend, this was back in the early days, um, he was part of the crew over at Geek Farms, and he would make uh, capsules with four different fats, olive oil, coconut oil, um, I think like pressed hemp seed oil, and one other I forget, and he, this is all anecdotal and I have no clinical evidence to back this up, but he said that your body metabolized those fats at different rates, and so it kind of created... Like a slow release. Um, it did. It was an extended release. And I, well, like I said, don't have any clinical evidence to it. I definitely anecdotally believe it. It was wonderful. I could take one of those at the beginning of the day. And not that I would ever work a shift while medicated. But yeah, I mean, like I'd go about my day and I would exist in the world. And it was great. It was, a, like you said, a very potent medicine against anxiety. Your body feels generally better. I feel a lot more present and able to to show up for myself and for the people around me. And so I'm a big, like you said, a big fan of using these things in tandem. There's a reason that CBD is such a versatile molecule. It's supposed to be used in a lot of different ways. And so, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Like I said, take a consistent amount of oral CBD, like morning and night, and then vaporization rescue doses when you're having an anxiety attack or if you have a lot of extra pain or, you know, pre-gaming for your workout or recovering from it. So I feel like through the course of this episode, we have done a lot to kind of arm listeners with everything they need to know to go out into the world and procure a CBD that they feel good about taking. So we've talked about what CBD is, how it works, um, a bit, a few points of clarification on some misinformation that might be out there. Uh, what kind of sourcing, why it's crucial, and then, like we said, how to consume overall. Is there anything outside of that that you want to touch on, just kind of as um, final comments to wrap it up? I would say for the, the curious consumer that wants to up their relationship with CBD immediately, like I said, purchase a journal and respect your consumption and make it intentional. When you're looking for products, look for whole plant products with third-party certificates of analysis. Lab results are crucial. So just to elaborate on one of those points, the the journal, uh, that's a great idea and definitely something that I recommend to folks all the time. But one thing that I would love to share with our listeners is what should they be recording? Like what are the data points that they should be looking at when they're actually like tracking their use? I would take notes on your overall state of mind. Like I was feeling really anxious or I was feeling really achy or I was having a great day today. I would take notes on if you can, like maybe how much water you've consumed, what you feel like your hydration level's at when you last ate. How much sleep you've gotten. Yeah, how much sleep you've gotten. Your general like body scan markers. Like how are you? Check in with yourself physically. And then I would say, you know, method of administration, how much you feel you consumed with something like combustion. It's not going to be super exact, but, you know, milligrams if possible. If not, like you said, small joint of high CBD cannabis. And then, if possible, notate what terpenes were present in that high CBD cannabis. If there were any other cannabinoids present, like CBG or THCV or something like that. If you can, I would notate the you know, producer, processor, grower, so that you can patronize them in the future if the product responds really well to you. And if you don't have a good experience, 
we're all fairly new at this, and I don't know a single producer that's not excited to get feedback, especially directly from the consumer. Most of these companies have to play a really awful game of telephone when it comes to getting FaceTime with their consumers. They hear it from the purchasing manager who heard it from the bud tender who heard it from the consumer, yada, yada. So um, if you have, you know, re record your experiences and make sure to share them with the people that produce the products and stuff like that. Yeah, that's a really great point. Um, this might sound, you know, really casual, but that's the way that our industry is built right now. Hit them up on Instagram. It's so easy right. and they want to hear your feedback. Mm -hmm. They absolutely do. Or, you know, just give them a Google, get to their webpage. I'm sure they have a contact form, whichever your cup of tea is, but definitely get out there and start talking to the people that are making your medicine. Mm -hmm. Or come to a Hash It Out event where they will be present. We work with a lot of great companies and that gives you a perfect playground to not only be experiencing the product that you're stoked on, but to get FaceTime with the people that made it for you. So that's my favorite way to integrate with these folks. Thanks again, Bridget. Really appreciate you taking the time to come out. Also, thanks for the shameless plug for the Hash It Out events. We do have one coming up in August. Uh, August 10th, we're going to be celebrating the birth of hip hop. Come on out in Eugene, Oregon if you're around. You can hit my website for details on that. Hashitoutpnw.com backslash events. Other interesting and fun stuff coming up. Bridget and I are actually working on a six-part speaking engagement on this topic. It will be demystifying CBD. Those events are also posted on my website, hashitoutpnw.com backslash events. They're going to be taking place in natural food stores and also retirement communities in and around the Eugene area. So if that sounds like something that might be interesting to you, come on out, say hi, ask some questions. We'd love to have you. And as always, the best way to support the work that I'm doing is to just subscribe to this podcast, whether that be through iTunes or SoundCloud, anywhere you get your podcast. If you just hit that subscribe button, write a review, that's going to help spread the word and get more people listening. Thanks again, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye for now.